Jessica. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Killer Casting. I'm your host, Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director for TV, film, podcasts, video games, commercials, you name it. I've probably cast it. And if you want to talk about TV and film that's dark and weird and twisty and wonderful, you have found the right place. And I want to thank everybody. This week, we actually cracked the top 50 of TV show podcasts, which is kind of incredible. Given that there's a lot out there, there's a lot covering Fargo. And so thank you so much. And if you haven't already gone and left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show, please go. It really helps people find us. I don't know many other TV or film recap shows that are actually hosted by a real professional casting director. So thank you for that. We are so lucky today. Of course, we're covering Fargo season five and episode six. We are so lucky today to be joined by yet another insider of the Fargo metaverse. You've seen him this past episode on episode six called The Tender Trap. He's the G-Man trying to bring old Sheriff Tillman to justice. Please welcome the wonderful actor, Nick Gomez. Nick! Howdy. Oh, it's so good to be here. Howdy. Thank you for coming. Mr. Jacqueline. Mr. Jacqueline. Agent Jacqueline. Mr. Jacqueline is in the house. I love that. I love that. So what people don't know is that I actually cast you on Criminal Minds years ago. And it's yes. so funny because for people who don't, I'm just going to give a little peek behind the process. So Nick was actually what we call a straight offer, meaning he did not have to audition for the role of Criminal Minds. It was a role of a detective. We had his reel and that of five other actors that we put together and we show those reels to the director and to the writer. And we talk about the actors and are they going to fit into this episode? Who do we want? What kind of vibe do we want? And we're always looking to like, who's going to fill in the world? Like that particular episode, Nick, I don't remember if you remember where it even was taking place. Uh, every episode takes place in a different state. I don't even remember which state it was taking place in. Montana, but, maybe or something? Montana, right. So we're looking for a cop of the week, a detective of the week who kind of encapsulates the world that we're in and also who compliments the series regulars. So there's all kinds of stuff that goes into the decision making. But Nick got the role. He got the call from his agent saying, you're the one. And so you joined the pantheon of criminal minds detectives. I remember exactly where I was when I got the call. I was driving for Uber at the time. (laughs) And I remember I was downtown L.A. somewhere and I pulled over. My agent Jabari called me and said, Mm -hmm. Nick, hey, you just got a great offer for criminal minds. And first of all, I'm just very excited. Awesome. I mean, that never happens back then. Amazing. And then my second thought was, okay, so I mean, obviously I'm playing some what Latino, it's a straight offer. So I didn't have a, so I'm playing like Latino gangbanger or rapist or like that's because that had been my MO for so many roles. So they're like, okay, saw me do that. So they, they know I can do it. And he said, no, it's for this private investigator guy. And then I really, because I'd never done that before. I was like, oh, so the back of my imposter syndrome mind was like, oh, maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they, but else. And I remember going to the studios there near Eagle Rock yeah. for the table read. Yep. And I just had, I had this feeling that I was going to go to the table read and I was going to walk in and they were going to go, oh, you're Nick Gomez. Who, who are we thinking? And I walked in and everyone was like, yeah. you're here. And I was like, oh, you met me. You did meet me. Okay. Oh, so I, you were supposed uh, to be there. You were. Well, absolutely. And then it was, it was great because Mike Mosley, who was the scary guy. Yep who I was, all my scenes were with. We actually went to school together in New York and oh, I hadn't shit. seen him oh, since we went to school together, which was like 15 years earlier or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was great because it reconnected me with him. And so we've become friends again. 
Where did but, you go to school? The American Academy of Dramatic Arts in oh, New York. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I lived in New York for 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Awesome. I mean, but, so that was fun. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very sad that your first thought was that you're playing some kind of stereotype, whatever. But I'm so happy yes. that that's not what we brought you in for. And you, you mentioned the table read. And that show always had a table read. Not all shows can, but we always did. And it was very important to have everybody around the table and for our casting director to have the whole cast amassed all at once. Because that doesn't happen during the shoot, right? It's shot in different uh, parts. You don't necessarily yeah. meet every single person who's in the show. To have Never. everybody there and to have everybody see the work that went in. In eight days, we cast 20 roles and cast no. it brilliantly, if I do say so myself. And to show you off because the uh -huh. network comes and the studio comes. And it's I know what that can do for an actor. For their for their career to be mm -hmm. seen at the table, at the, literally at the table, and you definitely deserve to be. Uh, there. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you so much. And but has just the the industry has changed a lot in the past years. So I graduated from that, and I'm not. I I don't. Those roles are kind of like behind mm -hmm. me now. Like, mm -hmm. I'm so older now. Now I'm now I'm playing fathers with. Although I just did an episode. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it, but a show that films on the East Coast on Netflix. Mm -hmm. But I was the good father, but he has a criminal past. And I'm, I'm liking this new guy. I'm yeah. the father, really good heart, but but I still have a little bit of a criminal past. And You're complicated. I'm, You're complicated. I like that. I like, I like being complicated. I like that. Let's talk so about, um, if you can, I don't want you to just tell secrets out of school, but tell, you want to talk about how you got your process for getting the role of Agent Joaquin on uh, yeah, Marco? I got the audition. And first of all, I'm a huge fan of the show already and the movie because it's, it's Fargo. So just really excited. I had a couple of days, so I just made sure to rewatch the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think I watched probably the first two seasons before I did the audition because it has such a specific tone. It has such a specific Fargo tone where it's grounded, and but it's a, it's a comedy, but it's a dark comedy, but it's really, it's got a very specific speed to it. Yeah. So I watched that and then I felt like I had it. Sometimes you get an audition and it just kind of clicks and you don't feel... You, like you're reaching, you don't feel like you're like, what is this? What am I saying? What am I really doing here? What am I really thinking here? With this one, it clicked for me because I think the character really clicked for me yeah. as just a human being and what he was after, what he wanted as a person and just who he was as a man kind of clicked for me. So I didn't have to over analyze it too much. Sometimes you really have to dig deep and figure out kind of what it is, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. This one, I just, and I felt good. I felt like I knew the tone of the yeah. show. So then I put myself on tape in my little studio here and sent it off. Fingers crossed, like always. Weeks go by, a couple of weeks, and TV usually moves quicker than... Sure. But Fargo's different because it's an anthology thing. So I thought maybe a couple of weeks. But two weeks go by, three weeks go by. I, I figure by that time, it's probably gone with the wind. And then I just had a feeling and I got a call from my agent. And when I saw his number, I was like, I was actually on the phone with my father. And I said, Dad, let me just call you right back. And I had this feeling... And I answered the phone and he said, you got it, buddy, Fargo. And I think I, I yelled so many explicit words. I think I told him to shut up a hundred times. Shut up. I was in my room. I was very excited because it's Fargo. It's such an iconic show and it's just so well-written and Noah Hawley's just kind of a genius and but very, very excited. And it's just so interesting to me because on a show like this, I feel like before COVID, before everything was done on tape, I feel like a recurring, substantial recurring role, guest star role on a show like Fargo, I would have gone in for an initial audition. There would have been at least one callback, probably 
a, a second chem, call. And probably a chem read with the actress that plays your... your with the, Yeah, with my... There probably be, would have been a chem read with her. And it's just remarkable to me that like now, and it's happening more and more because we're not getting those, those, they're not asking for second tapes, third tapes. They booked me for this pretty substantial role in Fargo with just that tape. And I think my, the audition scenes were the first scene with John Hamm, with him in the hot tub. And then the scene with our superior at the FBI, when we're asking to put pressure on, on John Hamm's character. Just, I mean, for them to pull the trigger on an actor with just one tape is I, I just feel like that, that's such a roll of the dice, but I guess they have other stuff to back it up. They have reels and stuff that they, they can yeah. see. And I guess Noah just knows apparently what he sees, what he just knows that like, that's the person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, they, you were, the, you were cast before off of your reel. So you, and, and now you've got years and years more on your reel. So they really have right. a lot to look at. Have you ever, have you ever auditioned for Rachel? Is it Rachel Tenor is the casting director? Had you auditioned for her before? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine probably, I wish I had a list like better actors do, but maybe. She's got a lot of your, you don't even, this is what happens that you don't even know this, but she may have a catalog of your auditions that you didn't get when you auditioned for her before. But I mean, I, I have this too. When someone is submitted, I'll look back at their stuff. I was like, oh yeah, they were so good. They were the almost. And you don't ever know this. Actors never know this, that you were the almost. That if not for this other actor we chose, it would have been yours. Right. And so we do have a library of you that you are un completely unaware of. And that's that's one of the reasons why Mike Mosley got that role is because I had, he has been in for so many offices that I'd worked for and I'd loved him and felt that he was completely underused. So it's it's just interesting that you say that. And I want to just comment on your acting. It's like you say, it's just all there. You just are the character. It's not pushed. And there's something about mm -hmm. your face that I mean, only because I know so many FBI, real FBI agents just because of the shows that I've worked on. You have yeah. that thousand yard stare. You have that I've been through the shit with this job. And you just wear that so mm -hmm. authentically without pushing it. So that's part of it. And then you have this sort of imperceptible timing, this comic timing that you have that you are also not pushing. So I absolutely loved your performance. I appreciate that. I it, it is, sorry? No, I was just going to say, I completely understand sorry, but... what, what they saw in what you did. I completely can see it. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it is just, it's a specific timing with that show. Like the cadence of it is very specific. I mean, kind of just, I knew what it was. Yeah. So I was just so excited to jump into it. So you want to tell me about your first day or you want to, or your yeah, iconic sure. scene with John Hamm and his ham hocks all out to the you world? Know, it's so funny because I, I didn't even think when we were filming it, how sort of iconic this moment would be in the show. I mean, obviously it is. I mean, it's the first, you're seeing him with his nipple rings. And he's butt naked and he's coming out of the, of course, this is going to be like talked about, but he's like flashing me all of his hamness. And oh. of course, but like in the moment, you know, I'm not really thinking about it because I'm thinking about everything else that I'm doing and who I am, whatever. But so my very, that was my very first day. Obviously I'm very excited and I'm always like over-prepared. I'm always like super ready to go. The night before, I'm obviously excited. I can't wait to go. Nervous. You always got some nerves going on, especially because it's the first day and it's Fargo and Noah Holly's directing this episode, the imposter syndrome, I always have this feeling I'm going to show up and we're going to do a rehearsal. And they're going to be like, why did we pick him? What was, what were we thinking? So, Robert just wanted to be super, I just want to nail the first rehearsal and get that out of the way. 
So the night before I go to bed like 9.30, 10, I think I fell asleep probably 10.30. And then I wake up at 11, 15, 11.30. I look at my phone. I'm like, oh, I've only been asleep for, I'm hoping it's four in the morning and it's 11.15 and I've barely been asleep an hour. So I'm like, okay, we'll go back to sleep. So I close my eyes, I'm breathing. I try and go back to sleep. I'm doing some breathing exercises. I literally start counting sheep. I'm like, Nick, okay, go to sleep. An hour passes. I look at the phone. It's like 12, 15. Okay. All right. So I, my, my pickup's at 6.30 from the hotel. If I go to sleep now, I'll still have a solid six hours. Let me just go to sleep. Another hour passes. Another hour passes. I'm tossing and turning. It's two and it's three in the morning. And I'm like, Nick, oh my God, I have none of my like sleeping melatonin, nothing to take. I'm like, Nick, you have to go to sleep. And now, now I'm stressing out. Now I'm too stressed out and I'm tossing and turning. It's five in the morning and then it's six in the morning and I'm like a sweaty mess. I'm just tossing and turning. And now I have to get up and I just have to go shower and yeah. get ready to day. So I get up, quick shower, go downstairs. I meet my FBI partner, Jessica Polly, who we met and talked and rehearsed already quite a few times. She's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, not great. Not great. Oh, and I feel like I want some coffee because I feel tired, but also I'm already really jittery and nervous, but it's the first day. And I'm like, oh my God, Nick, you have to get it together right now. Like you're, you're about to shoot. You're on Fargo. Get your shit together right now. I didn't. I, we get to set. I'm just putting on a brave face. I can't eat anything because I'm too nervous. We get to set. Thankfully, the first half of the day is all John and Joe Keery's coverage, yeah. right? So it's over my shoulder, but the words are not really coming out of my mouth. And so through the first rehearsal and through the first take or two, I'm kind of like, it's all jumbled. I don't know if I'm speaking Spanish. I don't know what happened, but I'm like pretty sure that fire me right now. They're going to come, like Noah's going to come around and be like, Hey, listen, man, we're just going to have to call it. We got the other guy. We're just going to bring him in. And I'm like stumbling through my words and we break for lunch. Uh, Noah comes over and he's like, Hey man, don't worry. We're going to get it. He's like, you got it. But he's very encouraging. He doesn't talk a lot. First of all, he doesn't, he's not big on notes and talking in general. And he's directing the first episode, right? Or that episode, not Dana. Yeah, it was, this was the second episode, but he directed the first two. Yeah. Right. But I managed to sort of like on the third take or something, the words start coming because I rehearsed the shit out of it. So like through there and like I'm finally starting to get through this scene. Luckily we break for lunch. Now I know after lunch, we're turning around right now after we turn around. Now this is my footage. Okay. Don't let it freak you out, Nick. Like you have to pull it together and get it together. You're on Fargo right now. So you have to pull it, get it together, get it all the way together. Yeah. So I go, to, I go to catering and I get a bunch of food because I really am not hungry at all, but I know I need to eat something. I get a bunch of food going back to my trailer and I always take my wardrobe off before I eat, but I hadn't taken it off yet. So I'm going back to my trailer and I feel this warm sensation down my chest and I realize it's the red seafood soup from the cup as all down my <laughs> FBI shirt. And I'm like, oh my God. I take it off. I run to the wardrobe. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Can you? Give me, fix this, please. And I go back to my trailer. I lay down. I have some seafood soup. I lay down. I do some breathing exercises. I'm like, Nick, calm, pull it together. You got this. I hype myself up. I have a little seafood soup. And then luckily, magically, miraculously, when I get back to set and the camera's there, and this happens a lot. I've just learned to trust now that it happened. For some reason, when the, it, when that happens, when you're on, you're, you just kind of like, if you're ready, if you're, if you're prepared, it just clicks and you just have to trust that it's going to be there. And it just was, it was there. And I knew what I was doing and I just, I relaxed into it and I felt comfortable with what I was doing. I started having fun with it. And then it was just, oh yeah, that's right. This is, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of went away when yeah. that nervousness, it just went away and I just had fun. 
with John and John and Joe and my partner. And luckily it just all kind of came out and I was like, thank goodness. But I was very tired after that day, after that first. I love that story because I think that you're actually going to help a lot of other actors know that when you have those kinds of nerves, when when you're you're in something that is so high level, like you are in Fargo, you you will have those out of body experiences. You will have those panic attacks. You will have those disassociative experiences. But then, when the camera starts rolling, you get your shit together. You do your job, and yeah. then it all kind of falls away. And and it you just kind of relax into it. But you you kind of have to go through all that before you get to that moment. It's hilarious. Yeah, it was. It, talked about, it was. That's what it felt like, an out-of-body experience. I felt like I was floating above myself. Yeah. And it was, I was so tired after that. The same thing was when I did, after COVID, after the long shutdown, my first job back was a Marvel show. Mm-hmm. And so it had been like, I don't know, 10 months, a year or something since I'd done anything and driving a set in the van and all the equipment, all the people, it's marble, it's a hundred million dollars a minute they're spending. And I'm like starting to get a little nervous and I'm like, I hope I remember how to do this. Mm-hmm. But then you get there and it's when you're filming, it's very intimate with the camera and everything's quiet, everybody gets quiet. You do a rehearsal and it's, oh, that's right. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. That's right. I, it's yeah, it's this. I do think that is the one downside about the self-tape universe that we're in. It's like when you have to get up in fucking front of people in person, in front of the director and in front of the writer in person, you have to battle right. those nerves a lot sooner than you do when you're in your cozy apartment or whatever and doing your self-tapes. So that is that is something. But so have the the episodes gotten easier since then? Oh, yeah. yeah what I was filming, for sure. I mean, the first thing is always the hardest because you're you're just getting to meet everybody and you feel like you kind of have to prove, I feel like I have to prove why I'm there, right? So like I got that out of the way yeah. and it felt good. And then it's okay, now we get to play and now I, I know what I'm doing. And I, it just, it was that first day of just, yeah. this is Fargo, don't fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and certainly they could have written you out of the rest of the season or or something. Right. And so clearly you 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 killed it with what well, you were yeah. Hi, it's Darren Dunbar here, actor and co-founder of We Audition, and I'm just stopping by Lisa's podcast to give all of the listeners of Killer Casting a special discount code for WeAudition.com. For those of you that don't know, We Audition is an amazing website and app for professional actors to help them find a self-tape reader on demand. There are readers available 24-7 all around the world whenever you need them. So you could pick the right reader for the genre or the type of role you're reading for or even a specific accent. And it's really simple. You just click onto the website of the app, select the reader that you want to use, and they'll come right up on video chat. And then just do the scene like they were in the room with you. And for those of you that want a little side hustle, you can also make money as a reader on We Audition, helping other actors. So jump online, use code KILLER for 25% off. That's KILLER at WeAudition.com percent off. And now back to the podcast. All right, so let's jump into the episode. Yeah. Are you ready? So when's the last time you watched this? Did you get advanced oh. screeners or did you watch it like yesterday? Dirty little secret. I actually just binged the last three episodes, four episodes today. Okay. Because, I mean, I definitely was going to watch it at some point, obviously, but I have a bad habit of watching myself. I just don't really love it. And Mm so I just avoid it when I can. But if my stuff comes on the TV, I will find my reason to go to the kitchen and make a sandwich. I don't really thank you for that. I I sat down and I I watched all of it. And it's so good. It's so good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I don't have criticisms. You're going to hear me 
say the baby's ugly sometimes. And I know that that may be hard. Don't have to agree with me. But yeah, anyway, but you loved it. Well, I mean, I was just, yeah, after reading the scripts and then seeing it come to life, I was like, and it's, and, and even watching my shit, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that totally works. Yeah, that was good. I like it. Me, then, okay, you did a good job because you're always critical of yourself. And I'm like, no, I good. That was great. Good job. Right, right, right. So this, this sixth episode, what I love about the season is that there are some episodes where there's a lot of action and there are some episodes that are kind of idling, ready to, to, pour on the gas. Right. And I think that after the last couple of episodes, this episode for me, I would say is like the chessboard being set with all the pieces and the pieces getting polished up for the final moves. For me, there was kind of a lot of circling of the wagons, people yeah. kind of getting in their positions. And I'm just wondering just overall, what was your take of this episode? Yeah. When it's certain people starting to learn certain things, like starting from the end with Jennifer Jason Lee, kind of like starting to understand possibly that there's another side to the situation and other people starting to be enlightened about what's really going on. And so I understand what you're saying about like the chess pieces and it kind of like kind of putting everything together for, for the fire in the next episode. And then the episode eight, which I can't wait for people to see, but I won't. Yeah, yeah, no spoilers, no spoilers. And we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to put you in a position where you have to, I may float some theories by you, but you can definitely not respond at all. Uh, but so we start this episode off in in a neon of the strip club where these three drunks kind of stumble out and they, they're met by Sheriff Tillman, who's kind of staring at them under the brim of his hat. And so we recognize right away, I thought I did, the, the, the guy with the handlebar mustache, who is one of the bankers that Lorraine meets with in an earlier episode. So you recognize him. And, and so you immediately know that John Hamm is going to be fucking up this business transaction. And yeah. I just love this actor. I mean, what did you think of this actor with the handlebars? I felt like I could, the reek of whiskey and crotch sweat was just like permeating through the screen oh, to me. Yeah, he was great. Vivian. Yeah, Vivian, yeah. So basically, the sheriff strips him of his of his coat and his shirt. Oh my God, that must. Have... Where did you guys shoot this, by the way? Was this? Were you shooting in Mont? Where were you shooting? All in Calgary, yeah. So it was oh, cool. In, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. The sheriff's. It, it's not enough to threaten him. Like he has to humiliate him too. So he takes away his shirt. He leaves him bare chested, and basically says, "Don't sell your bank to Lorraine." And and there you go. And it's just. It's a great way to just kind of kick off the episode. Which I, and, and I like what he said is now, dan now dance. Yeah. Really? Like, no. Right, 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 yeah. right. And then we cut, the next scene is Deputy Olmstead staring in her bed, fixating. The creditors are calling. Scotty is having breakfast, having Frosted Flakes. And it's just so funny because she's having Frosted Flakes that are for kids. And that's like her husband's favorite cereal is Frosted Flakes. What did you think of this whole scene between Deputy Olmstead and her husband, played by the great Lucas Gage, who, again, yeah. who's also an actor who's come in for me a million times, and I'm so happy to see him doing so well. Oh, and he's great for that because he just he just seems like such a big kid. And th yeah, the, later in the episode when, when he's just talking about, are you, is this the, where they have the conversation about, I want a wife? Exactly. So he wants this trad wife. So this is a whole thing right now. Yeah. Traditional wives who just are the homemakers, the supportive. But the problem is he's not a trad husband, right? He wants her to be yeah. a homemaker, but he's not a breadwinner. He's not the briefcase carrying insurance salesman. Yeah. Then you got to be the alpha male going out and bringing home the bacon then. And you're not. You're the child. Exactly. 
only thing I would say about this scene, I just worry that he's so obviously a fucking loser. I'm just so young and just such a baby. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, how did these two get together? Now, with Dot and Wayne, I can see how they got together. I can see their history and why they're together. But with these two, I'm just like bumping on the bigger a loser he looks, the more I question, why is she with him? Where Where is right. this relationship from? And what does she get out of it? It doesn't seem to match. Yeah. And it, she's such a smart, ambitious. And, and how did, I mean, sure, he's a handsome fella, but you think that this character, her, her character is just smarter and more interesting than that. Yeah, so that's uh, the one thing I wish that there was a little bit more, like he wasn't so, such an idiot. There was some sort of glimmer about him about, what, yeah, yeah, not quite so. Sweetness, something, some kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something sweet, something sort of, I don't know. I didn't need to think about the original movie, this great relationship with Frances McDormand and her husband. He's maybe not the brightest bulb in the in the box, but he's so sweet. There's something about him that they they fit in some way where this couple it's like i don't understand he's so sexually selfish he's so financially selfish he's so everything selfish i mean maybe he was playing the drums and he looked really badass back in the day yeah or he just wasn't thinking yeah exactly exactly yeah. okay that was a little weird yeah yeah it bumps me a little bit but i'm i'm super picky when it comes to that stuff but anyway so then we go to the next scene where they're roughing up the guy from the hospital the wrong guy that they think is wayne and yes. yeah and then we have sheriff tillman getting his hair cut by his wife with these twins his twin girls looking on and i'm just like flashing on the twins from the shining for some reason the way that they're the way that they're yeah. dressed and the way that they're just in unison but so i just have to tell my listeners so i have a thing about wallpaper like i am really obsessed with backgrounds in scenes and so just for my listeners who are keeping count there is some prime wallpaper in this kitchen it's behind the twins you can see in the kitchen there's like this chicken wallpaper in the back and it just have leaves, to go back. it's it's I know it's not important. It's not that important, but it's the whole homespunness of the house. I just love it. It really feels like that's the, the people who live here decorated this house where in some shows like the, the the art production doesn't match the actual characters. Like you can't imagine who decorated this house based on their character or their income or whatever. But this just feels it's all this traditional feeling house and that sort of meshes with the characters. And I'm noticing that John Hamm is wearing for the first time, he's wearing an ox blood red flannel shirt, which to, up until this point, he's only worn like a blue checkered shirt. And just knowing what I know about the wardrobe people, like that's a turn. There's a there's a reason that the color is changing. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but. I'm just wondering now, because I just, like I said, I just binged them all. So some of them are kind of like interspersed, interlapped with me. No, this isn't the episode where he goes. No, that was the episode before where he goes to the house and visits the, the wife and ends up taking out the the, the boyfriend in the throat. Yes, the guy. This, is, this, is the, this is the one after. This is the one directly right. after. So this is where he's getting his hair cut. His wife is cutting his hair. And she well, then right, he goes and like without even almost thinking about it, takes this other man's life. Right. So, yeah, there's, he's becoming a little more short and impatient yeah. and, and murderous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So he's he and he, he backslaps his wife across the face for cutting his ear. And you're starting to see 
that his wires are getting really tight. He's his fuse is shorter. He's shorter with her. He's he's getting he's more and more tense because he can't find Dot. He he's he's wondering about the husband. Is he going to be able to use this husband as leverage? It's all kind. It's starting to crack a little bit around him. So we still they go. He sees right away once he sees the guy who's not Wayne that it's not the husband and takes him out and shoots him. I'm just wondering what you what you think of that scene. So just to remind you, he's just shot the guy from the hospital who is a mistaken identity. It's not Wayne. And his son, Gator, played by Joe Keery, almost has no reaction to that murder. And he's not at all worried like, oh, my God, am I in trouble for getting the wrong guy? Like, there's no... There's no reaction to this threat. Uh, Yeah, his father and what he's going to do to him. I kind of felt that way. Was it? Yeah, it's in this when he comes into the kitchen to tell him that we got he's got the guy. He comes in and nonchalantly puts it up on the table. Well, I feel like if this had been your father for so long, I wouldn't he have whooped your ass for doing it before. Like, how are you, how are you, are you guys new acquaintances? Because I, it just, it struck me as kind of odd that he would put his feet on the table when he knows who this man is and in respect and just traditional values. Yeah. yeah. That much of an idiot that he just would just put, do something like that and kind of would, would seem egregious to this man. So it's just like, how stupid are you to just kind of keep putting your foot in your mouth? And but that's a great point when he then murders this man and it's your fault because you did get out of the car and this is your issue again. You fucked up again. And he just blew this man's head off who did nothing wrong. Right, 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 right. You wouldn't find that he was going to grab you by the throat and slam you against the wall. Yeah, I would be. Yeah. So that I bumped a little bit on that. And then right where at the point that you're talking about, Gator says something really interesting about, oh, dad, I'm just off my game. This isn't me. Oh, I used to be like the best football player and I used to be this. the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm just off my game. And uh, I was I just felt it was missing something. It was missing some emotion, like some kind of shame, some kind of embarrassment that he's fucked up. Please, please, please don't put me in the box again. Yeah, you know, yeah, like- yeah, 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 yeah. And it's interesting because John Hamm's reaction is, I think I know where you got that thorn in your paw, right? So I don't know if you know about this fan theory, Nick, but there's a fan theory out there that this whole season is connected to the Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you've heard that before. What? Yeah. So yeah, if you dig into it, you'll see this. So it's all sort of a wink towards the Wizard of Oz. So Dor- so Dot, Dorothy, is sort of Dorothy. Oh, wow. And her husband, Wayne, is kind of the scarecrow because he's kind of a dumb, but he's got a heart. And, she- and Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz loves the scarecrow the most. And then even their daughter, Scotty, uh-huh. that's kind of a pun on the Scotty dog. Toto is actually a Scotty dog. And then Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Lorraine, is kind of, she's sort of the Wicked Witch. But she also dresses in white sometimes, yeah. so, so maybe she's the good witch. So anyway, I've always thought that if we're going to go down this rabbit hole, that Joe Curie's character, Gator, is kind of the cowardly lion because he's trying to be like this badass, mm. but he's actually not. He's actually, he right. fucks up all the time and he's he's not, he tries to talk himself up to be the 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 tough guy. I'm but a winner. I'm a winner, yeah, exactly. I really yeah. perked up when I heard, yeah, John Hamm say, I know where you got this thorn in your paw. That just felt like something. Oh, you know. 
Wow. That's what that's happens when you, when you spend too much time on Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. Go on Reddit and you'll, you'll see the whole thing. Anyway. Well, I'm looking that up tonight. Okay. So now we come, I think this is your scene. Now we come to your scene. So the FBI agents are talking oh. to Wayne. Now, next to Wayne is um, his father, who I had completely forgotten existed. I was like, who is this guy? Who is this handler? Like, why isn't Dave Foley sitting there? Why does he have a martini? I was so confused about who this is. So talk to me about the scene and your your perception of what's happening in the well, scene. I had only seen him, I feel, in the first episode, really, when they were posing for the guns. We don't exactly. really know him, seen him or what his role is in the family. I mean, he's apparently just the drunk. But what he's doing there... My character was confused, just as confused as you were uh, about, I understand what's going on with him, but he's been electrocuted and like his, I'm starting to understand more and more as we speak to him, that he's really just incapable of knowing what's going on. And it's funny because they cut out something out of the scene. And I, I have to remember, go back to this, something about David Rysdale character, Wayne Lyon, he says something about a nugget. And like, there's more just confusion. He just says, starts saying the weirdest things about chicken nuggets. And so the more we're like just doing the scene, the more we're, we're kind of just realizing how useless this is and what a waste of time it is. And then the husband, who's just offering us gimlets, it's just kind of bizarre and, and weird. And, and we're in the cafeteria of a hospital and he's like making martinis and talking about Rommel and drum and the whole thing. I mean, so... To me, as an actor, Nick Gomez was kind of used by that. So I did that because it was the whole thing was just kind of confusing. So that was kind of an easy an easy acting. What I, lo I loved um, about your... And it was great. I love my... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just Jessica, I, my partner, Agent Meyer. She's great. She's a, a teacher at the Groundlings and she's just, she's fantastic. And I just, I really loved our vibe together. And funny, she hasn't any of it yet because she's just, I think she's like mildly terrified, even though she's so good. And I'm like, you're great. You're great. Our vibe is great. It's so good. You should watch it. She's like, no, 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 we'll watch it together later. But I think she was she was kind of nervous because her audition was a lot bigger than what she ended up doing. And she's a groundlings mm -hmm. teacher. Like a lot of her stuff is big and it's Yeah. And I think a lot she was concerned about being too much, especially with Fargo being as grounded as it is and being like, like especially who our characters are. But I thought she nailed it. And I thought she's great at it. I'm like, girl, watch it. You're so good. And the chemistry, the vibe between us, I felt. And we became really good friends over the course of it. So that really helped with our thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. filming that scene was interesting. Yeah, I went back and I watched her acting real. He's very curious about her. So I did go back and I watched her improv stuff. And, and, I, and I can see from the very first episode that she's in until this episode, she has nuanced it much more. I think in the first scene with you in the ham hot tub, I think she was much more, she was much bigger. And I was like, oh, am I going to like this? Am I, because you were not, you were much more nuanced. And I think over the course of it, I think you both found a really good balance. And I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that as a casting director. And I, and I, and I believe you when you say that she's used to being much bigger. Because I bet that she yeah. feels like she's not doing it. I and mean, I could see that from her reel and some of the stuff that I've seen her in. She's hilarious. And I bet for a theater trained actor used to doing live performance, it's, am I even doing enough? Am I, are they getting me? Am, am I, am I coming across? And I love that she relaxed into it and trusted yeah. that you guys were coming across. But what I loved about you is that I love the very gentle way that you were talking to Wayne's character, almost like he was a child. 
that you were trying to explain to him very in very short words. Your wife is not your wife. And she's this. And you just had this very, I love the look on your face. I mean, you have this empathetic look that is like, oh, you four fucking schmuck. I mean, you just, I just loved, I don't know. It was just a great, a great vibe. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I have kind eyes, and which is I have to hide when I'm playing very vicious, violent men, which sometimes I play. But that is my natural state. And I also just legitimately felt bad for the guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love it. Love it. OK, so yeah, let's rock been on. through a lot. Yeah, for sure. OK, let's rock on through this. So now we have the sheriff and Gator having a confrontation with Ole, who is the this weirdo assassin. And I love how they style Ole. It's like he, he munch. munch. Yeah, I guess I call him munch. Yeah, Ole. They put him back in this Ole. kilt, in the best woolen kilt. And then he has this jack, this coat on in this scene that I was obsessed with this coat. Again, it's an oxblood coat. So it's very much matches John Hamm's shirt. And it looks like a woman's coat. It's like got this big fur yeah. collar. And it's a long coat. It looks like almost like a Pendleton type coat. I was I'm obsessed with it. Like I just I, I have to interview the wardrobe, the costumer, because the choices are unbelievable. Did he take that from this woman's house? That's what it was I, like, I can see that being like an, an older lady's jacket. So I'm guessing he that's he got it from her like her closet, right? That's what I thought too. Yeah. It's just so funny to see him in it. And he's very stiff in it. Like his arms are like not quite comfortable. Like it's a little bit too tight underneath his underarms and anyway so Ole and it's just interesting because John Hamm I know this has never come up before in any of the previous episodes but uh, Sheriff Tillman seems to be getting very nervous about his re-election as sheriff and this is the first episode where that's kind of come forth and so he's nervous about the re-election he just wants all these problems to go away so he's willing to pay off Ole Munch to just here's your money and now he really is hiring him to be an assassin. He was previously a kidnapper, hired to kidnap Dot. But now he's just go find this bitch and just kill her, suffocate her. She's a tick, suffocate her, burn her, which is a real shift. I think it's a real escalation of his intention. Yeah. I mean, because what was he? He wanted to bring her back because it was his property. And now he thinks she's just too much trouble and he has other stuff on his plate. So he just wants to completely remove her. But if he can't have her, nobody can have her. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's yeah, a good no. point. Yeah. Nobody can have her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he definitely had no luck keeping her under his thumb. I mean, he just beat the hell out of her however many times and it just didn't work. Yeah. And I want to say I'm so respectful that this is a triggering episode. If you've experienced you know, domestic abuse, domestic violence, stalking. I mean, this is a very triggering episode. And I'm very glad. I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the episode, they do flash up on the credits the the number for the the national domestic abuse hotline that's very very important and i'm so glad they did that a lot of a lot of shows wouldn't do that they would just play fast and loose with that storyline and not realize the audience that you're showing this to chances are has experienced something like this or is experiencing something like this and it's going to be a very triggering storyline so especially this one because they're so explicit in the pictures that they show of Dot having been abused. Yeah. So I really got to hand she's it so to this show. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. She's so brutalized. It's a pivotal backstory of the whole thing. I mean, that's like the, the impetus for her whole character is the brutalization that she experienced. So that's, yeah, that's great. Good for All right. So this last section of the show, I, we have these delicious scenes between Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Lorraine, 
and Deputy Indira. And I had always wondered how Indira would, she could definitely leverage having Scotty in her possession. She could definitely leverage that and try to get out of her debts with Lorraine by saying, hey, I've got your granddaughter. If you want me to bring her back, forgive all my debts. But she doesn't do that. She just returns her to her grandparents and really is a sister. I mean, she's a sister to Dot. She she hands right. Lorraine this file and says, hey, and she just really makes a case for Dot, which is such a wonderful thing to have these two women in this scene really kind of just talking real to each other about who they really are and what they really are about. I just I just love this scene between them. That's so interesting. I didn't even think about that of her like having that as leverage. I didn't that didn't even cross my mind, but you're right. I mean and she just, I think, felt like this was the right thing to do. And I mean, she couldn't be taking care of this child. But also, it's illegal. This is this child has been missing and she could get in trouble for even just having her there at the house. And she has enough to deal with with her husband going to physical therapy. Right. Um, <laughs> Quote, unquote. Whatever that might be. Right. And, yeah. And but when I read that scene between Lorraine and Indira, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this. And it was it, it was so rewarding to read it and then to also watch it as an audience member. And to see somebody kind of for a second put her in her place a little bit and call her out on some of her bullshit. Mm-hmm. And they see Indira step up for Dot because nobody had been doing that. And to to kind of point out the fact that she hadn't once been playing the victim because Lorraine's whole thing is that people are just, if they're not like rich like me, it's because they're just not trying. And uh, it's easy for her to look down on everybody else and her to, I mean, when she calls her like everybody else animals and she's just an animal and she's, but Lorraine's the zookeeper. I was just like, you bitch. I mean, it's an awful thing to say, but it was so nice to see her stick up for Dot and just put her in her place about that because she hadn't thought about it. She hadn't thought that she hadn't been complaining and wasn't acting like a victim. That was in Lorraine's mind. That was just mm-hmm. projection that she just assumes that everybody's this way. But it made her think, oh, right, that's right. She doesn't complain. And then when she opens it up and sees those pictures, that it's undeniable. And the fact that she's never complained about that, never talked about it, and didn't use that. And then she's starting to say, think, and understand that maybe she doesn't know this woman at all. Right, right. And I love that Lorraine offers Indira a job with her. And in a normal show, there would be strings attached. So I was waiting for that. I was waiting for Lorraine to say, yeah, you can come work for me and I'll forgive all your debts, but you have to, what's the quid pro quo? And there wasn't one. And I thought that was really interesting because in a normal, in a normal show, there would be like, Indira, the deputy Indira would have to sacrifice something ethically or turn her, uh, turn a blind eye to something. And that wasn't really being asked of her. It was just a genuine offer of respect from Lorraine. And I yeah. just, I just thought that was great. I, you just, you just don't see that normally. There's some kind well, of. Yeah. Even when she's leaving, she's that's very nice of you. And she's like, it's not nice. It's smart. She's not doing it out of the kindness of her heart. She just sees that there's some strength in Indira that maybe she could use. Yeah. So she's not not being nice. She's being smart. But she did gain, Indira did gain some respect from her. And that's why she's getting the offer. Because yeah. she's a woman who got, got respect from her. And that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Love- I mean, I found myself going, yes, take that job. Take that job. Take your husband to the curb. Leave your husband. Exactly. So the we'll last see. scene, the last scene that we have, we're back at the strip club with old handlebar mustache banker getting a lap dance from a stripper. But yeah, but so Dave Foley, one-eyed Dave Foley breaks up that party with a call from Lorraine 
And it's she's just it's not enough for her to just squish her victims. She has to make them squirm. She has to let him know ruin. that she's going to ruin him. It's like she doesn't even want him back in her fold. She just is that door is closed and now you're going to suffer the consequences. Not only you, but your son, he's going to lose his tuition and all that stuff. And so the cold of your futureless children. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. So that's that's how we end the scene. Now, Dot does not appear in this scene. So it just makes us wonder, where is she? What's she up to? What's her plan? So there's anticipation for that. And then what's going to happen? What's going to happen between these two titans of Sheriff Tillman and Lorraine Lyon? Oh, it gets so good. And it gets so (laughs) good. And it gets, it's, it's hilarious and it's funny and it's, it's, yeah, it's great. I can't wait for everybody to see the, the last four episodes. There's so many like good episodes coming and there's so much like really good shit coming. I, I'm not going to say anything, but yeah, it's really good. Oh, well, but I... yeah, the, the t- Roy Tillman and the, the Lorraine Lion. Yeah. That battle is just, just heating up. I love it. We will say no more from here. So what's next for you, Mr. Gomez? What's what's happening? What's what's on your dance card after Fargo? You can talk about you may not be able to talk about anything, but we were, we were off for pretty much the whole year. But I had actually booked a great role on. I honestly don't know if I'm allowed to say it. I don't know. But the end it's the great know. Netflix shows hit Netflix shows. It films in Charleston. And I, I booked on the I booked. a I got network approval for this really great recurring guest star role on this show the day at noon on Wednesday and the day we went on strike, we went on strike that night. So I got network approval at noon and then we went on strike that night. So I wasn't really sure what was going on with the show. And then as soon as the strike was over and then ratified, I got a call saying, yes, you're in. And, but they came back and they said, okay, it's just one episode. And I said, ah, I really wanted to do the show. And I've been up for this show a few times yeah, with some really kind of fun characters. And I said, ah, it's just one episode. I really wanted something a little more substantial, something with an arc, something kind of cool. So I'd rather not, I'd rather save it maybe for something later. If it's just the one, if it was one quick little scene, I was like, so thank you. But I, I really love to maybe wait for something a little, a little, well, I could dig my teeth into. And so they came back and they said, oh, okay, it's one episode this season, but then blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, okay. Just yeah, said that. But yeah, but I, you got to be careful what you say no to. I mean, yeah, people right. did, have done that to me before. And I just am like, oh, I just, I promise you, I need you in this role. And if you take this role, I will make sure that I get you in for something else in another project. You know what I mean? It's as a casting director, I hate hearing that. It's like you're waiting for more, especially when I know this is the last season or there is not going to be more. You know what I mean? So I just, oh, I deserve right. like, Be careful what you say no to. You know what I mean? I know. Trust me. I was like, I, I didn't want to, especially because I hadn't worked in 10 months. So I was yeah. very eager to go back to work. But I was like, I really wanted to do something really kind of cool on the show. But then they came back and they're like, it really is and blah 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 oh okay that is cool all right i would love to do that so i just filmed that last week and then and then all the procedurals i guess came back i mean i've had five auditions this last week and it was but it was it was all ncis chicago pd chicago fire yeah some paul rudd in new york city which went really well so yeah i mean it's it's all happening yeah i've got quite a few people who are going out for zero day i don't know if you've heard of that that show that's that's, that's with robert de niro and connie Britton. i've had so many people reach out to me to coach them for that show <laughs> so yeah things are definitely hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, talk yeah. To, talk to your uh, agent about that 
for sure. Yeah. But cool. Anytime you need a reader, I'm here for you, man. I'm happy to help you if I can. But I mean, it is so awesome to see you. And I'm so happy for your arc in this. And it seems like once you're in the Noah Hawley universe, he he likes to bring people with him. So I don't know. But yeah, he does like to pull back. And I mean, I would work for that guy for it wherever. It was funny because when, when I first met him, we had a little meeting and he said, oh, because I, I had really long hair right before when I booked Fargo. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, we cut off all your hair. And I was like, are you kidding? I would have cut off like my pinky to be in Fargo. Like, what else? Oh, that's awesome. I look forward to so, seeing you in many, many more things. I look forward to casting you in more things. And I just want to thank you so much for being on my show well, today. I appreciate it. All I really right. appreciate it. It was a great time. Thank you. Uh, All right, everybody. So that's it for this week. Um, We'll be back next week for the next episode of Fargo. But for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.